0: And welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I am your co-host, Justin McElroy, and I'm
1: Sydney McElroy.
0: Sydney, I am so excited. I am too. We're so excited.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, we, We're not
1: teasing. This isn't. This isn't one of our.
0: One of our classic. Our classic, little, our classic bits. Uh, this
1: is true. True blue excitement.
0: True blue excitement. Uh, we have for you such a treat this episode. It is our very first uh, guest episode. Uh,
1: we have said on Sawbones for this is truth this is complete truth justin and i've talked about if we were going to have a go- a guest who would we want i was gonna say a ghost not a ghost a guest if we were gonna have a guest who would I- we want a guest to be and we have had the same name that we keep coming up with if we we're gonna have a guest this is who do we want and we got her
0: is mary roach Yay. and she's on the show she's got a new book called grunt the curious science of humans at war it's out the first week of june you can pre-order it now but uh that's the, this episode we are going to be talking to her about that and a lot more and uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun so she,
1: she has a lot of great books out there that if you have never heard of Mary Roach before you should look her up and buy her books I have been a fan
0: for a long time she's basically the most popular science author like in the world
1: fun science like it's fun science, science but she makes it interesting and'm not just because I'm a doctor Justin can vouch for this no they're great she, yeah for, for anybody any interest so
0: so we talked to Mary Roach and uh, we're gonna listen to her right now Well, everybody, this is really exciting for us. Uh, We are joined by our our first ever uh, Sawbones guest. Uh, She is the author of Stiff, The Curious Lives of Human Cadaver, Spook, Bonk, Packing for Mars, Gulp, and her newest uh, Grunt, The Curious Science of Humans at War, will be released in June of 2016, I believe. Please welcome to the show. I don't you're, you can't cuz you can't applaud you're listening to podcast it's very Roach, everybody.
1: <laughs> Yay! Yay. I'm <gasps> clapping my face to do this. <laughs> There's thunderous applause happening. Thundrous. Yeah, I can I can feel it. Yeah, them.
0: clap wherever you're at in the subway or in a taxi. Uh so uh Mary Roach uh I don't I don't know Miss Roach Mary I don't know what would be the most appropriate I'll just go with Miss Mary Roach that sounds Sir, la-
2: sir. laird laird <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, know what I am a laird somebody once sent me the deed it was some reader in Scotland there's this thing where they it's like a 1 foot square piece of land oh, some sure. actually yeah, yeah, yeah. technically well, I guess
0: Lady, maybe. But I like Laird. Laird. Laird, Laird is good. Um, Laird, yeah. <laughs> so uh, in our show, we th- throughout medical history, uh, a lot of times you find scientific advances bumping up against preexisting knowledge or even superstition. Um, you touch on this in in your new book, Grunt, which is about um, the, the science behind humans at war. Um, you, you touch on this like in the... Uh, you have a, a chapter... Pretty much just about diarrhea, uh, which, which we were both way into. Um, uh, uh, where You talk about how soldiers, uh, uh, one of the soldiers talks about how he believes that he, he shouldn't um, sort of block himself up with, with Imodium, even though the science seems to indicate that. You know, it it, it it may be better to, to let those things run their course without, uh, you, you know, with, or or you know, with a modium to, to actually, you know, lean on that in some cases. Yeah, um, is this a recurring thing you see in in the military where where these men and women have sort of like risked their lives and have have relied on sort of pre existing knowledge and 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 what they have have known before, uh, sort of a, a a hesitance to adopt like new advances.
2: Oh, I don't think it's unique to the military. I think you, you hear everywhere. If you come, if you come down with diarrhea, people are like you gotta let your body do your body do its work. It's flushing toxins. It's actually ridding itself. That is so widespread. I mean, not just yeah, not not just in the folks that I talked to in the military, and I, you know, and I, I believed it too. I was like, well, it seems to make intuitive sense, and then come to find out these bacteria and these pathogens, it's not something your body's doing to them. It's something they're doing to your body. They're interfering with your ability to absorb moisture in the colon, which I thought was like, wow, knowledge, science, cool. <laughs> so I don't know that no, the military's, um, people in the military are unique in their um, uh, sticking to these beliefs. So just these things that make that make intuitive sense are hard to shake. People just they keep... You know, you hear it over and over and over again, like, oh, toxins, your body's flushing toxins. It's like, no, it's not. Actually, it's not.
0: <laughs> How did you find that, that, that some of these uh, researchers who were doing this work, uh, you know, sort of encouraged adoption of these new ideas? Um, you talk in another section about uh, uh, soldiers being hesitant about taking in new technology, things that require it, you know a lot of electronic sophistication because they're they're just worried about reliability how how does the military yeah. handle that idea of like adoption of this technology
2: yeah it's it's um there's a well, there's a, there's always the military is this massive machine and then and and there can be a product there can be something a development like you're talking about i think about in the the hearing loss and the extreme noise chapter there's this kind of cool thing called t caps which is tactical communication and protection, and as in protecting the ears. So it's this very cool system where you put on this headset and it amplifies quiet sounds and it blocks loud ones. So it's protecting your ears, and at the same time you can still communicate because soldiers are like, you know what, I'm not putting on heavy-duty Hearing protection and foam earplugs in my ears, and then I can't hear what somebody. Somebody's going like, "Look out! Somebody's shooting at you!" <laughs> right. you know, so, so it's this conundrum of how do you how do you save their hearing and also not put them in danger? And so then along comes this technology. First of all, it's expensive, and then it's also within the very cumbersome kind of like uh, machine of is it in the radio budget or the hearing protection budget? You know, it, it, it breaks down into all this sort of tedious bureaucracy and. Um, so the ability to sort of get something pushed through is is tough. And then also there's a reluctance, like you said, um, the people who are out, you know, the boots on the ground, people who are doing the job and carrying this heavy pack, the the unit leaders are like, it's going to break down. i got to carry the batteries. i got to haul this thing out. It stopped working. They're very wary of new technology. Yeah, it worked great in the demo when you brought it in to the Pentagon or whatever, but but <laughs> is it going to work in the field, you know, in harsh conditions? And how often does the, you know, the battery going to have to be changed? And so there's understandably a certain amount of reluctance to adopt a sure. new technology. So
0: um, in medical history, we see military advances sort of trickling down into how we treat civilians. Um, Since the 1960s, I think, Sid, you were telling me the military has played a role in something like.
1: Like eight different vaccines. Um, And there are a lot of things. uh, Yeah. We we talk a lot about this in things like wilderness medicine and and global health. Things uh, that we use out in the field like to stop bleeding or um, certainly like tourniquets are an easy example of that or or wound care. Um, These are all things that we in civilian medicine have have been have adopted and has been perfected by the military um and in your book you talk about uh, navy captain robert a phillips adding glucose to rehydration fluids and that helped absorption that was a huge breakthrough and Mm -hmm. and that's something i'm very familiar with in, in like global health so um is that is that something that you saw like a theme of as you were doing this
2: yeah it come it comes up over and over i mean anything that is helpful in keeping alive someone who's hemorrhaging a large amount of blood, and that, you know, that happens in in car crashes, it happens all all the time in civilian life, and and there's all kinds of things that the military has had to come up with. I mean, it's because this scenario happens so much, um, hemorrhaging, bleeding out, as they say, dying of blood loss is the number one combat fatality, so... Um, they've gotten to be really good at evaluating tourniquets and coming up. You know, I mean, a lot of times what the military is working hand in hand with uh, a private developer. You know, mm-hmm. they're saying this is what we need. C- you know, can you help us? So it's sort of a um, a joint process. It's not that the military necessarily invents everything, but they fund the research okay. and they and they you know they push it and they encourage it, and then it comes out, and then of course it makes its way into civilian trauma care. Uh, or hospitals, or whatever it is. So it's, uh, you know, burn care also. uh, Yeah, a tremendous amount of emergency medical care. um, Not necessarily invented, but um, funded, encouraged, um, put into use, tested. A lot of testing goes on to make sure, you know, this is something that's going to work, and it's worth spending the money on. So, yeah, um, a lot of of good inventions.
0: We see it in video games, too. A lot of (laughs) military... (laughs) Starts and trickles yes. down there, actually, from from uh, their work. Um, I host a podcast with a doctor. Uh, she's sitting across the table from me. And I would say about once an episode, I have to ask her to back up and define a term uh, or something that she has used that I uh, don't understand because I'm a, a, a layman. Uh,
1: and, that, and that's definitely a big part of my job, I think, as a physician, is trying to take... Complex medical concepts that I've taken a lot of time to understand and make them accessible for my patients who typically aren't also medical professionals um, As you as you study these topics and you immerse yourself in them and you become sort of an expert on them as well. Is it hard for you to then? Continue to make that so accessible because I think your books are very accessible for people, you know without any not, without having any expertise necessarily How, how do you do that? Mm, I
2: think I do it by never going all that deep. I mean, you have a medical <laughs> degree. You have spent years studying this stuff, and you keep up to date. And you know, it's a, it, oh, but and I and I haven't, so I'm still really operating at a very beginner's level. So it's so it so it's not it's not difficult to make that jump. But what does happen? Although there are times when I, you know, even after just two two years of mucking around in a topic and absorbing what I can. Uh, I start to use words that you know, words become to seem commonplace. That two years ago I'd never heard that word, and so my, I, I rely on my editor to go, Mary, I don't know what you're talking about here. <laughs> my, <laughs> my editor, she's a poet and a novelist. She's intelligent, but she has no background in science and doesn't really read books about science. So she's a great editor for me. She'll go, Mary, what what, is, what does this mean? I don't get this. That's a, so um, it, it's it's very helpful for me to have that set of eyeballs on my work um, cuz every now and then i
1: do kind of find myself using a word that or or a term and just thinking everybody knows that right <laughs> I, I understand that completely. Justin <laughs> keeps me in check a lot. Yeah. I, yeah. After a lot of episodes, I have to say, well, wait,
0: is that not, what really that not hurts word, is not, everybody is not, what really hurts is not, is not the not knowing it. It's her incredulity <laughs> that I am not familiar. <laughs> Cer- certainly you're kidding. Certainly you're, you're, you're kidding. Certainly you've heard of that. Um, uh, when, when you boil, this is a book about, uh, as we said, about the military and about, uh, uh, fighting war and, and, and how to help people do that more safely and more efficiently. But when you boil it down to really base, and even, even I would say this is even a sort of a crass generalization, uh, but a lot of the advances that you talk about in the book um, are at, at their center. How do we keep people safer so they can still continue to kill other people? I mean, you talk
2: about it. So immersed in keeping this person alive um, that i don't think it crosses their mind that I mean I, you know the, the sort of larger institutional reason for keeping a soldier alive I, you know, I don't think they see their job they see themselves as as saving someone's life and keeping this person alive sure. for themselves for their family i don't, i don't I don't get the sense that they view themselves as contributing ultimately to the, the military goal of keeping as many soldiers in the fight as possible. I, I just don't, I, you know, they're very caring, dedicated people. And a lot of them, I have to say, when you work day by day with, alongside the aftermath of combat, y- you're not a fan of war. There are uh, a number of people I spoke to hate war. I mean, they, because they see, they, they see this very vivid, graphic, tangible result of bullets and bombs, and um, I, yeah, I, I, they, they're they're n- not fans of, of military. Mean, it's kind of like, you know, I used to work at the San Francisco Zoological Society at the zoo, and there was this group of activists who were, who were like, set the animals free! And, and I was at the zoo, and I'm like, you know what, I'm not a fan of zoos. I work I work at the zoological side. I don't like animals being penned up. I don't like that, but the solution, the solution is not to set them free. They're here and for better or worse, let's make their lives better and sure. more pleasant and healthier. So people at zoos can both dislike zoos and care deeply about the animals in them and want to make their lives better. It's a similar I mean I, I'm not comparing soldiers with zoo animals. It's not my intent, but it's a similar kind of thing where you you don't have to like the reasons that you're having to do the work you don't to still care about it deeply. So I didn't I didn't Get a sense that they had that in their minds when they were doing their work, and they're they, they're very committed, and they're you know they're they're medical people. They want to keep people alive and m- make them healthy, you know, and and they care a lot about what they do. And I, um, so yeah, I didn't I didn't feel like that was a theme that came up in my research. It's something I was aware of, just because you know you every now and then you come across. You know, references to you know, keeping keeping soldiers in the game, or that being part of the you know, it's, just, it's a, the military is funny. It's a it's a it's a huge. It's not a big monolith. It's it's a it's an organization. It's tons of organizations that all add up to this thing that I don't care for. But that there, but there are chunks of people who who are involved in it who impress the hell out of me, mm-hmm. and I really just saw them purely as devoted care providers
0: i want to hear so much more about your book but uh we have to take a quick break and we will be right back after we visit the billing department let's go the medicines,
2: the
1: medicines that at for the mouth.
0: we have just started rehearsing for the summer theater that's right summer starts in march around these parts and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner um you you touched on this you mentioned uh, uh in the book talking to people who have done i mean like really made astounding sacrifices i mean sacrifices that would be unfathomable i like I, like I feel pretty good about myself holding the door open for somebody. Like I, that was, <laughs> like, I feel like like real a real big big shot. Um, uh, but we you talk you make a uh, sort of half jokingly you mentioned the book about writing a uh, I think you called it a gasping fan letter to uh, a a Captain White who is terribly injured. Um yeah. But the the first thought he had and, and his main concern was about the fate of his men. Um. Uh, and, and you know, women yeah. that I'm serving with, how did you as a journalist, uh, or, or were you able to sort of like keep perspective uh, on, on the, the broader picture and the topic you're talking about while you were talking to such like the people who had done these astounding things?
2: Well, it was, it was a, a, an eye-opener for me in that I've never spent time, I, I don't have family members or friends who've served in the military. So I, it was my first real exposure to that reality outside of movies and and books and you know dramatizations and that sort of thing which is it it, even though that can be affecting and moving it's just not the same as standing and talking to someone who's missing one leg and part of another leg and needs his urethra rebuilt and tells you in all honesty and for no reason for him to lie that because I said tell me this story and the first, you know he's hit. The first thing he does, he throws on a tourniquet, and he's trying to get up and see who's hit, who's hit, because he's the he's the unit leader, mm-hmm. he's the commander, and he doesn't know who's been hurt. And that's the kind of thing, you kind of I am familiar with it as like a a parent running into a burning building after a child. You know that kind of bond, you know a, a parent and a parent parents love for a child, and and that kind of sacrifice your buddies and, and you meanwhile are maimed and, and still do I mean I I don't I just how to wrap my mind around that was, mm-hmm. was a, it was a different experience for me it was very you know it was a kind of profound mm-hmm. compared to you know I'm usually you know I'm Mary Roach I'm off with the cadavers and the maggots and so this <laughs> is something <laughs> this is a little heavy it's, it was heavy for sure. you know for, for me uh, and um, just it was Kind of amazing.
0: You briefly touched on this, but uh, I'm I'm curious what sort of um, baggage about the just the idea of war did you sort of bring to this book initially? And I'm and I'm curious how that evolved over the course of of writing the book.
2: Well, I, I'm you know I live in the Bay Area. I'm kind of your typical Bay Area liberal, and I had a sense of you know the military. Like I was saying before, it just this sort of monolithic entity. And anytime you spend a couple of years, whether it's NASA or the military, or the funeral industry, you begin to see that it's impossible to kind of, to sum it up with, there's no one, there's no military. There's the Navy, there's the Army, there's the Marines, there's the Pentagon, there's the bureaucrats, there's the researchers and the scientists and the medics, and all of these, they're all different entities, and you can have different feelings about different ones. And so it was a process of sort of coming to see all the shades of gray and rather than this black and white sort of good and evil. So it was that kind of an evolution.
1: Did, did you have that kind of, you, you mentioned that, you know, Mary Roach is usually with the cadavers and the maggots. <laughs> did, did you have that thought as you were writing this, that this might be a little more like politically charged than, or, or, you know, people might have, be a little more opinionated about these topics than something that you've written before.
2: Uh, yes. Yeah. I, 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 I do have that awareness. I mean, I, you know, I'm writing about the science and and oh, sure. explaining things, and, and and that's sort of where I'm. That's my comfort zone. But anytime you write about the military and war, I think you have to expect people to are going to want to make it political, or or have a, you know, want you to kind of bear down on things in a in a political way. So, yes, yeah.
0: Um you, you one of one of my favorite things about your books is you, you use humor to really great effect and you, and, and especially in that t- sense of making things relatable that we talked about earlier and you certainly do that here but I I, I was curious if you at any point were a little bit hesitant about that cons- considering that this is a topic that like People cared so deeply about and are so deeply connected to and, and have such strong feelings about if you're worried at all about coming off as like, uh, you know, flip because of the, the sort of gravity of, of the central central issue.
2: Yes. Yeah. No, I do worry. I do worry about that. I mean, I tried to, to keep the humor to um, there's a couple of historical chapters which are um, kind of hilarious because it's, you know, it's 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 old. First of all, it's the OSS, or the precursor to the CIA and some of the correspondence that went on in developing, um, uh, for a shark repellent is one chapter and also a sort of a stink bomb. So it kind of lent itself to, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't combat and no, you know, no one was killed. And, um,
0: there's a that's, great section that, that, about red underwear and it's <laughs> and
2: it's... the red underwear. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of compartmentalized the humor. I also tried to Poke fun at myself as a total outsider and clueless pogue, as they say in the military. I'm, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm, I don't know what's going on around me. I, there's so much to learn. To the culture of military is so foreign to me. It was like me stumbling around in Japan for the first time, kind of saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing. So, um, the, I, I tried to use humor in, in and also in the, the footnotes. There's some, sometimes things that just are kind of quirky or funny that strike me as too hilarious to leave out, but they're not ever, um, in the, you know, in the main story of people being injured in the line of duty. And sure. so I mean, well, that, that was my effort. My, sure. my, 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 hope was that I, I kept the humor in places where it was appropriate, but you know, I'm I'm again, Mary Roach, and I don't necessarily have the best sense of <laughs> what's, dignified, respectful, appropriate, politically correct. These are not my strengths. So, you know, I'm hoping that, uh, I mean, the p- people I've sent it out, I've sent the book out to most of the people in the book uh, who, who, you know, I've been able to get addresses from and, and have gotten good feedback. And that's incredibly reassuring and gratifying to me because those are the, those are the readers I care about most at this point is just, is the people who are in it that they don't feel made fun of or exploited or disrespected
1: yeah i can and, and i will say i can vouch for the funny footnotes i i, I was reading the chapter about maggot therapy and um, so that's something I'm, I'm just interested in in general. And I remember the footnote about the CPT code for maggot therapy, which I don't know if this is just I'm a doctor. It made me laugh out loud. And then I had to text one of my friends and say, hey, did you know the CPT code for maggot I therapy? So I really I appreciated that. I just i just love
2: that there's a, there's a, a Medicare reimbursement code exactly. for maggots. And the fact that they're approved, the FDA approved maggots as a medical device. And I'm like, this is what I live for, these little facts. So I'm glad that you enjoyed that.
0: <laughs> I'll uh, I'll ask Sydney what CPD stands for after the show. Um <laughs> the uh, you strike me as somebody who has sort of like a boundless curiosity about uh pretty much everything and and the military is an organization that I think has a reputation for being somewhat secretive from time to time. Uh did you find yourself like frustrated by any doors that were that were closed to you uh y- you know that that wouldn't normally yeah. be in in another topic?
2: I was surprised at how few doors were closed to me if if something was classified the door was closed there was no argument or debate but things anything that wasn't classified for the most part um people in the military public affairs although they thought some of them were very weird requests and they didn't really know who to go to to get approval they were willing to try and they were helpful and and these were people who were like look you know i could send you a copy of my book Cause I, you know, I want you to know what I'm doing. I, I don't want people to feel like, oh, we thought this was a textbook you were working on, and by God, it's some weird, tasteless, stupid, <laughs> trashy pop science. book. So I would <laughs> send them. I would try to send. You know, it, especially if it was a big request. Like, I, I, I want to go out on a, a submarine, you know, uh, uh, you know, out for a few days somehow, mm-hmm. uh, which is not an easy thing to to have happen because some sections of it are classified. I mean, nobody knows where it is and there's not a lot of space on a nuclear sub. And so, you know, I was, I knew that it was going to be a challenge. So I right up front sent them copies of packing for Mars and I was like, okay, see what I did for astronauts. I want to do that for soldiers. Can you help me? And they got it and they were really helpful. And I had anticipated the opposite for Mm. the reasons that you mentioned. I had imagined the military to be very secretive and they are of course secretive if it's something that's going to compromise their service members, you know, like sure. the, like here's something, uh, camouflage, that work is classified, I, you <laughs> know, the, the print on your fabric, that for, you know, for whatever reason that's some the information that they don't want shared so you know, sometimes it was kind of a surprise to learn that something was classified and other things were just um, it made perfect sense that the answer was no, like at one point I wanted to go out with the, the special operations, you know, the Guys who do the high risk missions, sure. they have a weather arm. So there's a, because the weather and you wouldn't really think about this, but the weather can make or break one of these missions. And so they have weathermen. And I wanted to profile because I thought, God, you make it to special operations, you're like the cream of the crop. You're like the guy, like the virile, omnipotent special ops guy. <laughs> and then people go like, Oh, so special ops? What do you do? And they're like, well, Weather. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought I really wanted to. Profile and I called up Special Operations Command Public Affairs and I explained all this, and and he's like, "Mary, these are classified missions. He's like, did, did you know?" And I, and I was like, "Yeah, but I'll only talk about the weather. I won't talk about anything else." That doing. i do not I, I keep
0: a secret, pal. <laughs> yeah, he's like, "This is so not going to happen." <laughs> they're literally doing the thing that they have to make the secret about. Like, they're making the secrets happen. Um, yeah. As shocked as Sydney is when I don't know a topic, she is perhaps even more shocked when I get yucked out by uh, anything um, because she does not – nothing seems to faze her except the, – the, the only thing.
1: thing that I've ever found that bothers me that is for some reason – like spit, especially if somebody wants to like hawk a big loogie and bring it to yeah. me to show it to me. Cause that happens a lot. I, and I don't think I'm alone in that. I think most physicians get people bringing them loogies and say, Hey, look at this. Is this a normal one? <laughs> so, I'm that, with that, you. That, that's the only thing that ever kind of, I get a little bit of a gag reflex with, but everything else is, is pretty cool. Do you yeah, have yeah, anything? I had, I,
0: yeah. Do you have a thing? Does Mary, can Mary? <laughs> yeah. You know what like it is? What is? Yeah. It? You
2: know what it is? It's, it's, Specifically, okay, I have a saliva chapter in Gulp, and there's two kinds of saliva, as you know, stimulated and unstimulated. And the unstimulated is that like ropey, mucousy, <laughs> not clear and watery, really uh, disgusting, and and I, that grosses me out. I'm huh. with you. There yeah, we go. It, it, yeah, because uh, the researcher and I, we collected, you can collect stimulated or unstimulated saliva, and, and we did that. And I was just like, ah, oh, and she's going, look, look how the mucin strands, if I pull this away quickly, the mucin strands stretch away. It's remarkable. I'm like, ah. <laughs> it's like when y- your gumbo isn't, your okra isn't prepared right, and you you pick up your spoon from the bowl, and there's that strand, like the silver oh. cord. Ah, I can't even eat my gumbo. Oh, now you ruined
1: okra for me.
2: <laughs> Ew. Yeah, I don't order
1: it anymore because it happens all the time. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, I'm glad I'm in good company, there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <No, laughs> true. Mary Roach, when will people be able to buy Grunt for themselves?
2: Uh, the release date is June 7, but you can pre-order it right now.
0: All right. Go do that, Mary Roach. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. It was really fun. Great.
0: Thank you so much to Mary Roach for joining us, and uh, thank you to you, Sydney, because without you, there would be no Sawbones, and without Sawbones, I wouldn't have gotten to talk to Mary Roach.
1: Well, thank you, Justin, because you have made a dream come true for me.
0: Well, Mary Roach made a dream come true for well, you, she, babe. I she just did. sent the emails, <laughs>
1: but, but I'm certainly happy we can work it you, out. I'll give you a little. I would have been too nervous to email her myself, so okay. I will give you that credit.
0: Uh, so, so thank you to Mary Roach uh, for for talking with us. Go, uh, go
1: check out her books seriously stiff books. and spook and gulp and bunk. They have great names too, yeah, right? Fun to say. So fun to say that
0: it's fun to read. I've
1: read them. They're wonderful. Read them.
0: Um, uh, we let's see what. Oh, 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 oh! That's right. We're doing a live show uh, in uh, Boston with my brother, my brother, and me on July 16th at the Wilbur Theater. Uh, if you want tickets, you can go to bit.ly forward slash um, MB, MBAM Boston is what it is, and uh, you can go there and get tickets. They are 25 bucks, I believe. The, right around there around 25
1: we'll uh, have more information as it gets closer
0: it, it, no because they go on sale wednesday at noon if you're listening oh. to this on wednesday that's today at noon
1: well, then we est
0: won't. we won't have more information but it's available for you on the website bit. i'm sure OI, we'll be tweeting forward slash mbmbam boston um so you can uh go get tickets to that and see us with my brother my brother and me it's at the wilbur theater in boston It's going to be a lot of fun and we're really looking forward to it uh, we're going to be in New York and DC this weekend, but, um, it, the taste of those shows are sold out. So, uh,
1: don't you go buying them from scalpers now? Don't buy them from scalpers. We uh, don't like that noise.
0: Uh, no scalping <laughs> on our watch. Uh, thanks to the <laughs> taxpayers for letting us use your song medicines as the intro and outro of our program. Thanks to Maximum Fun Network for letting us host our show here, and be part of their family, podcast family. And, uh, I think that's going to do it for us. Uh, Until the next time, we have uh, uh, a show for you. My name is Justin McElroy.
1: I'm Sydney McElroy.
0: As always, don't drill a hole in your head.